Good morning, Sound City. We're reading from Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 today. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you, who once were far off, have been brought near in the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility." And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Thanks, Kristen. Good morning, church family. How are you? If you are new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad to have you. And I want to just deeply apologize for the comedic duo of Myung and Kyle. I, uh, it's, uh, Myung does not like to be handed the mic, and I feel like that's his way of getting back at me for saying, hey, go do the welcome and talk about things. So glad to have you here. Uh, we as a church family, we're doing a, a short six-week series where we're addressing a, a series of topics. Uh, this is week four of six, and the topics are things that are hard to do. The very simple idea behind this series is that as we follow Jesus, there are, at times, challenges that we face. Can I get an amen from anyone on that? And these challenges are multifaceted. Not every follower of Jesus struggles with the same thing. Not every follower of Jesus bumps up against the same challenges, but it's good for us all to look at these challenges, to grow in our ability to understand them, to be prepared for them, and also to walk with one another in love and relationship, even like Myung was talking about, in community. That's such an important part of what we value as a church community. And so uh, today, we We get to express one of our values. I said this a little bit last week. I'll say it again. We believe that in this area, we all get to be part of the one capital C church, the body of Christ in the region. Amen? That that Sound City Bible Church is not the be-all, end-all, and that we are participants in the family of God, and anyone uh, like Justin last week, who's planting a brand new church, or like our friend Matt today, who has been leading his church for, I believe it's nine years. You've been leading your congregation for nine years. Uh, We get to celebrate that, and so So today I'm really excited to welcome back my really, really good friend, Rabbi Matt Rosenberg. Rabbi Matt, why don't you come on up here, buddy? And can you guys welcome him as he comes on up? Matt and I have uh, been friends for a couple years now. We were introduced to one another, like set up on a play date by Patty Whitmarsh. Uh, She came up to me. She's like, Pastor Aaron, I'm not even going to do it, but Pastor Aaron, you need to meet Rabbi Matt. You guys really hit it off. And I was like, okay, cool, whatever. And then we did. And then actually we found out later that our kids were already friends through youth groups and things like that. And uh, Rabbi Matt holds the distinction as the only human being on planet Earth besides my wife that I have held a single five-hour-long conversation with. So that's a pretty good distinction, right? And so when we were looking at this subject and looking at this, this series, the subject of race and how difficult that is in our culture uh, to talk about and having heard and having spent a lot of time talking with Matt about the way that in Christ we as Jew and Gentile are brought together through Jesus, I said this is, this is the person I would love to invite to come in and teach us on the subject. So I'm honored and thankful that you'd be with us, thankful that you'd uh, give of your time and, and serve us in this way. And so friends, would you join with me as I pray over our brother Matt and I'll turn it over over to you to, to teach us. Yep. God, I thank you for Matt. God, thank you for uh, just 
personally for his friendship. Thank you for his family and, and just the way that uh, our wives enjoy each other, the kids enjoy each other. Thank you for the reminder, uh, not only that we are one in Christ just because we, we go to church or, or, or just because we, we follow Jesus, but God, even just the idea that we're looking at in this passage today, that you have brought us near, both Jew and Gentile, brought us in to the family of Abraham through the blood of Jesus, our crucified and risen Savior. And so, God, I thank you for Matt being here. I ask that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit to teach us today and give us all soft and and, and teachable and receptive hearts. God, that we might examine our own uh, hearts of of racial prejudices or assumptions or things of that nature, Lord God, that would keep us distant and alienated, not only from our fellow uh, human beings, but ultimately from you, Lord Jesus. And so I pray you'd be gracious to us in that way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Take it away, brother. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, good morning. Glad to be here with you. Um, what Aaron said is true. I think uh, we just recently we sat in his office and talked theology for five hours uh, with Chick-fil-A in the middle because that's what <laughs> pastors do is we go to Chick-fil-A together. Um, except on Sunday, which isn't the right Sabbath, but, you know, <laughs> it's all right. They're trying. Um, and... Uh, we, um, I, you know, I think what I appreciate about your pastor is um, I, I don't know all the theological terms, um, so I call Aaron and ask him. Uh, like, this is what I'm thinking about believing, and this is the heresy I'm working on, so could you um, correct me or just tell me what it's called? And uh, he is very happy to correct me. Uh, so... You know, I, I also, I respect Aaron in a lot of ways. One, um, I, I posted about my dad this morning that my dad never taught us to, um, like, fix engines or um, work out or, <clears throat> or do tools. In fact, not, 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 not too long ago, whatever you do with tools, I don't know. Uh, my son, when my son was about four years old, he walked in, he had a toy drill, and he, you know, zoom, 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 you know, you press the button, and he walked into the living room, and, and he's, he's pressing the button, and he goes, look, just like mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was awesome, and it's true, it's true, the tools are all hers, um, but, um, you know, I think, um, well, the one thing that's different with, well, there's two things that are different than me and Aaron, one, he's in shape, and I'm not. But two, I have a much better beard. So that is, if you're going to judge on what manliness is, um, I think having a full beard is um, more manly than being in shape. So, things that are hard to do, talk about race, which for Aaron, of course, things that are hard to do is to bring in a guest to talk about race because... (laughs) Well, it was too hard for him to do. So uh, what I want to talk about is, so I'm a Messianic Jew and a Messianic rabbi, which means I'm a Jewish believer that uh, in Jesus um, and leads a Messianic community that has both Jews and Gentiles in it. One of our core values at our synagogue um, in Seattle is that we all belong to the family of God. And part of that is when is the understanding of Jew and Gentile. So in talking about race kind of broadly, I want to break down Jew and Gentile together because what people, most Christians read um, Paul in saying there is no distinction between male or female, Jew and Gentile, slave or free, and they want there to be no distinction. But of course, that's not what Paul is talking about. In the eyes of God, God does not save certain kinds of people. There's no distinction in his saving grace for Jews than there is for Gentiles or for men than there is for women. But there are clearly distinctions. Of course, we live in a place and a world where um, we used to be able to say if there's no distinction, there's, there's clear distinction between Jews and Gentiles as there is clear distinction between male and female. Okay, now we have to kind of abridge that for the culture we live in. But there is... Uh, distinction that is important. And the distinctions exist um, mostly having to do with the glory of God. 
In the sense that if you look at male and female first, male and female are, you know, Adam's made from the dust. And Eve, it's not his rib that was taken. It's more like his side, like he was kind of cut in half. So there's one that became two. And then after the one becomes two, then God says um, he made both of them together in his image. But, of course, it's not what happened. He made man first. Then he cut him in half. Then he made woman. So how could they be made in God's image together? Because that was God's design, that the one would be split into two. And then when the two come together in marriage, uh, they become one again. And it is the clearest picture of the image of God that we have um, in all of creation is the union, the actual physical union between male and female is the closest we will get to the actual image of God in creation. And in a, in a, in a similar sense, which is why I married a Gentile, in the similar sense, Jew and Gentile are two groups that God made distinction in, not people. This was not Jewish people saying, we are Jews and everyone else is, is a Gentile, which the word Gentile really in Hebrew just means nations. There is the Jewish people as a nation, and then there are the Gentile nations. So why did God make a distinction between the two? Well, many theological books will tell you that part of the point of the Jewish people is to, uh, is to represent God's image in culture. And to glorify him in who we are as a people. Because God didn't choose us because we were great or, I mean, our beards are great. But God didn't choose because we were great or because we were big or because we were smart. But this small little people group with all of our original enemies being gone thousands of years later. The fact that the Jewish people are still, still here it is a clear picture of God's reputation. That he promised that he would never leave us or forsake us. And part of the, the design is as a Jewish person, I can stand in front of you and say God is a promise keeper. He is a truth teller. He is a covenant keeper. Because I'm standing here in front of you. And historically in the way the world works, Jewish people shouldn't exist. Because there's been plenty of times uh, where we... There were other people that attempted to exterminate us. Not just the most recent um, in Hitler, but in other uh, times as well. And the reason why we survive is because God's reputation is tied to the Jewish people. It is tied to our existence and the promise that God made to never leave us or forsake us. And, of course, this is... The dilemma, if God in any way has left or forsaken the Jewish people, then any promise that he's made to Gentiles will, why would you believe him? Why would it even stand? It couldn't. And so there's all these theologies out there that are designed and trying to help people understand the scriptures and, and the difference between Old Testament and New Testament and all the covenants that they have come up with these solutions to, to say, well, God did something among the Jewish people and they were a means to an end and that has come to an end and now God is working in the church. But it, it's, 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 um, there's too much discontinuity in, in that teaching. The idea is God started with a, with a family, and that family became a nation. And that nation became a people that God made a covenant with, several covenants with, actually. In fact, I don't know if you realize that the new covenant is, for the, is with the Jewish people first. That when Jesus makes a covenant, you know, in Jesus' ministry, um, he, he spoke to very few Gentiles. In the land of Israel, in Hebrew. I know it's hard because there's pictures all over the place of, you know, white Jesus. And I don't know how he looks Norwegian coming from the Middle East. But that's <laughs> blonde hair, blue eyed, and his head's glowing all the time. It's a very odd thing. Um, when in fact, he's probably like more olive skinned and, you know, had a great beard. Was probably five foot five and a little overweight. <laughs> Why are you guys laughing? It's true. Um, 
So what I, what I want you to understand this morning as we're talking about uh, race generally, one, race is not a real thing. There is a human race. There are ethnicities, but we are not different races. We have ethnic background. We come from certain places. And I don't know if you realize that a lot of the countries that our families came from changed their names several times. Like they weren't always what they are now uh, over the course of history. So there are regions we come from. And when you come from certain regions, you have uh, kind of that region tied to your DNA. Um, My dad is 99% Jewish. My mom is 99% Italian. And somehow what that makes is uh, kids that are 51% Jewish and 48% Italian. Right? Like that's tied to who we are. The, uh, being, the combination of Jewish and Italian makes you hairy, hyper, and loud. That's the <laughs> very passionate. We talk with our hands a lot. Um, and we're truth tellers, which is frustrating, has been frustrating for many people in a passive-aggressive culture like Seattle to have a New Yorker which is the promised land, by the way, um, ha- have a New Yorker come and not be passive-aggressive, but just be aggressive. Um, it's, a, it's a very difficult union over the last nine years. So in Genesis chapter 12, um, this is where the promises start. And some of you know this scripture well. Um, and I'm reading from a, a Messianic Jewish translation of the Bible called the Tree of Life, or the TLV. Um, It says, then Adonai said to Abram, get going out from your land and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land I will show you. My heart's desire is to make you into a great nation, to bless you, to make your name great so that you may be a blessing. My desire is to bless those who bless you, but whoever curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God says to this man, Abram, I want you to get going. Um, I want you to move, and I want you to move out of or away from what he had known and the land that he had promised. In fact, if you go back to the chapter right before, it actually seems like to me that Abram's father was called to do the same thing because they leave where they're from, and then they stop halfway because one of Abram's brothers die. And so the father stops. And my, my, my guess is, and it's just my interpretation um, of the scriptures, is that Abraham's father had the same call, but he stopped in the middle. And so God called Abraham to continue on, to move away from what he had known to a new land and, and to promises with uh, the God who created the heavens and the earth. And in that, God was going to form a nation. Of course, first we were going to go into slavery for 400 years, which is a great way to form a nation, by the way. Uh, And then after being freed from slavery through Passover, then we go to Mount Sinai where God gives Moses um, the commandments. And that is the moment where we become the people of God. The promise is, in the covenants that God makes with Israel, is I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will be your God. And it's the design of God, even all the way back to the first part of this covenant, is the last line of uh, chapter 3. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That Israel's designed to be a blessing to the nations. In fact, it, it's, it, it, some would say that we are designed to be the priesthood. If there are 12 tribes and one of those tribes is the priests for the people, in a similar sense, the Jewish people are supposed to be the priests of the people of God, uh, leading other people to know who God is. And that whatever God you worship before the God of Israel is no God at all because there's only one God, the creator of heavens and the earth, who sent his son, Yeshua the Messiah, to die for the sins of the world and rise from the dead and ascend into heaven 40 days later and then sent his spirit on a Jewish holiday called Shavuot in the temple courts in with Peter preaching in Hebrew and everyone who was there were only Jewish people from every nation, not just one group from one place, but Jewish people from every nation who spoke different languages but yet heard Peter who was preaching in Hebrew or Aramaic, heard, understood his sermon in their own language and then received the spirit 
So sometimes people talk about Acts chapter 2 as this place where the church begins. But the, but the church is, um, well, Acts chapter 2 is not a beginning. It's the middle. It's the middle of the story. In fact, we're kind of still in the middle. I don't know if you realize that not all things have ended yet, Thank, thankfully. Because there's a lot of things we would like to end. Uh, and not all things have come to a conclusion Um, And so this promise that God makes to the Jewish people is not just for us to be blessed and to receive blessing, but to be a blessing. And part of the way that we're a blessing is there's this, when you're talking about this idea of race, I I want you to understand that laced into a lot of theology is anti-Semitism. Somehow, really early in, in, uh, after the disciples, um, within the first 200 years, um, there are people that come along who we would all consider to be church fathers, leaders uh, of the church the few hundred years after the disciples, who start to lace in um, with all different kinds of reasons why um, anti-Semitism, which is you know, hatred towards Jewish people, which is weird because the end is going to be a real bummer for you if you have a problem with Jewish people. <laughs> Because there's a new Jerusalem that descends from heaven and the 12 gates that everyone has to walk through in the new Jerusalem in Revelation 21 are named after the 12 tribes of Israel, which have 12 foundations named after the 12 Jewish apostles. And then you have to walk through these Jewish gates with Jewish foundations to worship a Jewish guy for the rest of eternity. (laughs) You know, it's, it's an odd combination of things. Um, but part of the anti-Semitism that, that shows up in a lot of people's theology is this idea that the Jews killed Christ or denied Christ. It's not true. Because, well, majorities always do the wrong thing. Uh, but the remnant who actually followed uh, Yeshua and continued his teaching after he died and rose from the dead were all Jewish people. In fact, when he ascends into heaven from the Mount of Olives in Israel... Um, he ascends in front of 500 Jewish witnesses. And it's those 500 Jewish men are the ones that were counted in in biblical times. So it's probably more people uh, because there are women there as well. But it is from that group of people that anyone in here who's not Jewish and believes in Jesus believes because they did what they were told to do. That the gospel comes from Uh, was first for the Jewish people and then comes through the Jewish people preaching to the nations that the gods that you worship are not actually gods and there's actually only one true God and what he's been doing with us as a people, he wants to now extend and enlarge to all the nations, which was always the plan because in the Jewish people, all nations will be blessed. So there is this, um, this kind of erroneous concept uh, that, the Jews, that the Jewish people, and it's hard because, you know, in the Gospel of John, it says the Jews, the Jews, the Jews, the Jews in English. What it really should say is the Jewish leaders, not the Jewish people. And there's a lot of verses and things that people take out of context later that kind of blame the Jewish people. Um, but, you know, Scripture is always misused by all kinds of people. I mean, it's misused to make slavery in the United States okay. Uh, It was misused to make beating your slave to the end of his life um, okay. It it was used, scripture was used um, to even treat African Americans like they weren't, they were hardly people at all. That, That this idea that they were another race meant they were different than real humans. Um, and these things find, them, find their way I- into our, our cultures and into our conversations and into our thought process, whether we admit it or not. Um, it, these things are all underlying. So when Paul, who, by the way, never stops being Jewish, really never stops being a Pharisee, which might throw some of you off because I thought Pharisees were bad. Well, no. There were some Pharisees that are bad, just like you know, some Republicans that are bad and some Democrats that are bad and some, you know, independents that are bad and some whatever. There's always bad in every group. Um, And some of the guys that followed Jesus around were some of those. But generally, the Pharisees did really good things that a lot of what you believe are based on the, the work that Pharisees did in the first century. 
to build theology, Jewish theology, um, that affects Christian theology. So Paul's job, this, uh, this might throw you off too. Um, in in uh, the, the Jewish disciples literally had to have a council in Jerusalem. Um, and this is probably 25 years after the resurrection. So for somewhere between 10 and 20 years, the only people that received the Holy Spirit were Jews. After the resurrection, Peter leads Cornelius uh, uh, to Yeshua, to Jesus in Acts chapter 10. But that's somewhere between 10 and 20 years after the resurrection. And when you read that story, they received the spirit. And some of the Jewish guys who were part of the circumcision group, which, by the way, you you can't be a rabbi unless you preach in circumcision every time you talk. But uh, (laughs) the, the... the, uh, the freak out of the Jewish people is not, oh my gosh, Gentiles can't receive the Spirit. Their question was, we've never seen the Holy Spirit fall on non-Jewish people. So what do we do? So they have to have this council in Jerusalem where the question of all of these Jewish followers of Jesus, somewhere 20 years after the resurrection, uh, ask the, the question which to them was crazy, is how can somebody be a Gentile and believe in Jesus? Which is weird because it flips over now in our culture where the question that I get most from people when I meet people and tell them that I'm Jewish and I believe in Jesus is... Jews can believe in Jesus? That's not a thing. In fact, my daughter is in uh, middle school, and one of her Jewish friends said, that's not a real thing. You can't be Jewish and believe in Jesus. And she said, that's weird because I'm standing right in front of you. So (laughs) seems pretty real to me. You know, but somehow we flip over in, this, in our culture where the question for the disciples was, can Gentiles believe in Jesus and remain Gentiles? to now we live in this topsy-turvy culture where Jesus is for Gentiles and not for Jews. But the design is that Jew and Gentile are supposed to be together. So I want to show you something cool in Ephesians, which we read earlier, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11, 13. And this is Paul, who from that Jerusalem council was commissioned, along with Barnabas, to go and figure out Gentiles. Like, here's a few things that they should probably do. Uh, you go preach it and flesh it out. <laughs> funny, flesh it out. <laughs> That's funny. Circumcision, okay. So, a few people are tracking with me. All right, Ephesians chapter 2. Um, and keep in mind that Paul's writing to the city of Ephesus, and it's the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Its population was around 250,000. Uh, people. The ethnic makeup of Ephesus included all kinds of people from all kinds of places, um, and it's one of the centers of pagan worship for the entire Roman world. And so Paul went into these places and started communities, preached the gospel first to Jewish people and then to Gentiles, um, gaining more followers uh, of Jesus and then establishing congregations there. So he writes to this group in Ephesus and he says, listen, you have to keep in mind that once you, Gentiles in the flesh, were called uncircumcision by those called the circumcision, which is performed on flesh by hand. And at that time, you were separate from Messiah, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. So there's actually six things um, in this passage. Um, There's separation from Messiah, There's exclusion from the commonwealth of Israel. There's strangers to the covenants of promise. There's no hope and without God in the world. And the last thing, the sixth thing, is in Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. So you need to understand that everyone in this world, Jew and Gentile, needs all six of these things. But there's a different sequence for Jews than there is for Gentiles. And Paul is writing to Gentiles very clearly because that's how it starts. And Ephesus was mostly Gentile congregations. And so Paul is explaining to Gentiles, listen, you know your Gentiles are from the nations and you're uncircumcised. And there's some of us who are circumcised or they apparently were calling each other uncircumcised and circumcised factions or, or group. And Paul's saying to these Gentiles, listen, before Jesus, before his blood, 
You were separate from Messiah, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope with, and without God in the world. But in Christ Jesus, in Messiah Yeshua, you have been brought near. So it works like this. There's six things. Gentiles start with Jesus and his blood and then get the other five. The sequencing for Jewish people is the other way. Because actually at the circumcision on the eighth day, we are brought into the covenants of our fathers. So Jewish people are never separate from God, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. We've always had hope and we've always had God since the days of Abraham. So we have these five things. But we need the blood of Jesus to get off this planet. We need the blood of Jesus to go into eternity, where the promises of God are for here and now, but without Jesus, those promises stay here and now. They don't come with us. But the sequencing for Gentiles is different. Through Christ Jesus, you get all five things. You are grafted in to the same promises. And there's still distinction in those promises. For instance, the the land of Israel, the physical promised land, um, is for the Jewish people. It's not the right of all followers of Jesus. It's part of the covenant that God made with the Jewish people. There are things we do as Jews that we don't expect everyone else to do and that we are not under the law in doing in a negative sense, like uh, keeping kosher and, and you know, eat, not eating unclean food. Um, and there are some things that God has commanded Jewish people because it has to do with his reputation and the keeping of his promises, that there are things that we do. And one time I was in a, uh, I went to a Christian college and my professor uh, said, came into class and said he didn't circumcise his son on purpose uh, to show that he was free from the law. And I was like 18 years old and I, you know, raised my hand. And I said, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and he said, why? I said, because how could you be free from something you were never under? <laughs> See, as Jewish people, we're not trying to be free of the things that God commanded us to do. As a people, there's a whole lot of extra baggage that other people added that we don't have to do. But there is the word of God and things that God commands the Jewish people that are not the same obligation for Gentiles who come to faith in Jesus. And so we can still, for instance, did you ever realize that when Peter goes to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, Peter says this weird statement when he gets to the door. He has this vision, and the sheet comes down, um, and, and God, you know, it's all these unclean food that he's never eaten, and, and, and God says, kill and eat, and Peter's like, ah, that's gross. And God says, yeah, kill and eat, and Peter goes, I really don't want to. And then kill and eat, and then Peter's like, I'm not going to eat it. And then he wakes up because there's a knock at the door. And when Peter describes his vision to the other Jewish apostles after the whole situation is over, he never says, guess what? Now we can eat BLTs. He says, what I learned in that moment was we were treating Gentiles like unclean food. And God came and said to me, we, we shouldn't treat what God calls clean as unclean. So when he gets to Cornelius' house, which is the first Gentile who receives the spirit of God somewhere 10 to 20 years after um, the resurrection, he gets to the door and he says, you know it is unlawful for me to enter into your house and fellowship with you. Well, the funny thing is, there's no commandment in the Torah, in the first five books, that says that. So why does Peter say it the way that he says it? Because in the first century, the laws of purity became so important to the Jewish people that there was a separation between us and the people we were supposed to be a blessing to. You can't be a blessing to Gentiles if you don't know any. You can't be a blessing to people that Isaiah tells us to be a light to the nations. Well, you can't be a light to the nations if you won't eat food with them. So there's nothing in the scriptures that actually says, but in Judaism in the first century, there was a total separation between Jew and Gentile, even for the apostles, that God had to send a vision to Peter to break them of this thing that wasn't even biblical in the first place so that they could understand what they were called to do in reaching the nations. It's it's why the next verse in Ephesians 2, verse 14, 
It says, for he is our peace, the one who made the two into one and broke down the middle wall of separation, or some of you know it as the middle wall of partition. Within his flesh, he made powerless this hostility. Do you know there's within the design of the temple courts, um, there's the holy of holies, there's the holy place, and then there's the inner courts and the outer courts. Well, in the first century, in Second Temple Judaism, in Jerusalem, there were extra courts. There was a court of Gentiles, and there was a court of women. And these were places where Gentiles couldn't go any further than the court of Gentiles, and women couldn't go any further than the uh, court of women. The problem is, neither of those were commanded in the design of the temple or the tabernacle. You know, for, for even for Jewish people, n- Jewish people could only be in the outer courts anyway uh, because it was only the priests that went into the inner courts and then only the high priests that went into the holy place. So there was a separation. There was distinction, and that distinction was important for us to understand certain things. But what they did, what Judaism did in the second temple is they put up a physical wall in the middle of the outer courts. So the outer courts where was everyone could gather to offer their sacrifices and to bring Jew and Gentile, people from every nation, male and female, everybody together. And they put this lattice wall, which they found uh, some of these stones that have, uh, two stones that have the inscription on it that, that was like, uh, like uh, you know, warning do not enter sign. That they put up this extra wall that God never said to put up. And on that wall was a, was a, is a, um, is a stone tablet that says, no stranger is to enter within this area of the temple or enclosure, and whoever is caught will be responsible to himself for his death, which will ensue. So when Paul is writing to Ephesians, to the, to the people that he shared the gospel with in Ephesus, and he's saying the hostility has been broken down, the middle wall of partition, people tie it, because of the text, they tie it to the Torah itself and to the commandments, but the hostility didn't come from the commandments. The hostility came from the people. And the people decided to add walls and barriers that God never told them to. And those walls and barriers kept other people out when God wanted them to be in. We decided, yeah, but they're unclean. So we're just going to put up a wall because we don't want those kind of people in here. And, And you know, and maybe some of you are already thinking through it for yourself, but there's all kinds of walls that you and I have built in our own mind of who should and who shouldn't and who should be where and who we want in our community and who you want to sit next to and, and who you want to share, break bread with and, and who you want to spend time with. Like we built within our culture even, there are things that we can't run away from that are not we tied to the text but isn't really tying to the text. It's believing something that we believe is right in our generation and then picking a scripture that supports what we already believed. And we all do it. So when, when Paul is saying this middle wall of partition is broken down, he, he's, he's literally talking about this hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles. And then he says in verse 15 that the law code and the, the commandments contained in its regulations, he did this in order to create within himself one new man from two groups making peace and to reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, which he put the hostility to death. And he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off, which Paul's writing to Gentiles in Ephesus, and to those who were near, which were the Jewish people. For through him, we both have access to the Father through the same spirit. So then you Gentiles... Non-Jewish people, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. So just like with marriage, there's one new man. And lots of people use this term. There's ministries named after it. And there's, but everybody uses the same term and means different things. Jew and Gentile are, deci- are designed, like male and female, to be distinction, but distinct within the same body because we're all part of the same family. What God did with Abraham, he promised at the very beginning that we would be a blessing to the nations. And in being a blessing to the nations, it means we brought them the gospel, 
which was a Jewish message first for Jewish people so that the Jewish people could become what God designed us to be, which is to be a light to the nations, so that we could go into all the nations with Paul and all of the apostles do. They go into all the world, the known world at their time, to tell everyone from every nation that whatever God you believe in is not an actual God because there's actually only one God. And that God sent his son to die for the sins of the world, who rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, took his, right, took his place at the right hand of God the Father so that he could send his spirit to anyone and everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. So there's this design all the way from the beginning of this uh, uh, diversity, and the diversity is always stopped by hostility, and the hostility does not come from the scriptures. The hostility comes from us. It comes from our hearts, it comes from our minds, and it comes from the sin that we are born into, that it's just more comfortable to be with people that are like me, not realizing that all people are like each other because we were all created in the same image. I, I, I have this, uh, and I know Aaron does it too, um, but I go to Africa twice a year um, to help with medical clinics, um, specifically to places where there are um, lost Jewish tribes. Um, in Zimbabwe, which is just above South Africa, all the way at the bottom of Africa, uh, there's a group of people called the Lemba, who, whose story is that when Ezra and Nehemiah reestablished the temple just 500 years before Jesus, they sent away all the Gentiles that they had married and all the kids that they had, and the Lemba were part of the people who were sent away. And the Lemba left from Jerusalem and over the course of time made their way all the way down to the southern part of Africa, um, and we found them through relationship, um, and in relationship, they told us their oral story, which sounded crazy, uh, and we did a DNA test with them not too long ago, and their DNA said that they were 71% Semitic, like currently, because all the way back to the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, they only married within their own people, and it the fact that there is a group of people that have Semitic DNA that far away from Israel in the most southern part of Africa, the rest of their DNA is southern Africa, uh, they are black as black can be. And they are not what people think of when you say Jew. They think of this, not them. And people have said often, you know, are, there are black Jews? yes. There are, because God scattered us to the four corners of the earth. But part of that scattering was to bring us back. And when we came back, when we, as we're coming back, we don't all look the same, and we don't all sound the same. We represent some of the nations that we come from, because God's design is to bring everyone from every nation back to himself. It's not just the call of the, the, the design of the Jewish people that we were literally, literally scattered to the ends of the earth and one day God will bring us all back to New York City. Just kidding, <laughs> Jerusalem. Uh, but, uh, but it's also the design of creation. That God created this world and we fell into sin and we became all the things that we became but God is calling people back to himself from every nation. And you were far off, and we were near, but God made a way for all of us to see him for who he is, which is a God that designed this whole thing. Look at the, the end of chapter 2, verse 20. Paul continues, and he says, listen, you have been built on this foundation made up of the emissaries and the prophets, with Messiah Yeshua himself being the cornerstone, and in him the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple for the Lord, and in him you are also being built together in God's dwelling place of the Spirit. Which means together, Jew and Gentile, we are the temple, the place where the Spirit of God lives. Not just in you as an individual, but in us as community in us as the universal body of Christ, 
not just our congregation. What Aaron said uh, about your church, we, we say about our congregation as well. We're, we're not trying to, to reach people for restoration, our congregation. We're trying to bring people into the kingdom of God because everyone belongs in the family and there are different ways that different parts of the family worship And there are different days, and there are different times, and there are different holidays, and there are different expressions, and God loves all of them. Because he looks down at the diversity of his people, and he says, you know, that was by design. So when John sees, in Revelation, when John sees this vision of all the things that are happening at the end, uh, he sees every nation and every tribe and every tongue worshiping a lamb who is slain on the altar. And, and we're all saying together, I think in our own languages, because Paul, uh, John sees that everyone looks different. He couldn't tell that they were every tribe and every nation if everybody looked the same. I think we're dressed in our, the way that all of us dress in all of our different cultures. And I think there's all these amazing, wonderful colors that are happening in, in this amazing body that surrounds this altar where Jesus is still slain, but somehow also sitting on the throne. And we're worshiping and we're saying over and over again in all of our different languages at the same time, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and worthy is the lamb who was slain. There's this diversity that is by design that we resist for all different kinds of reasons. Where we come from and what our culture tells us and how we treat other people, Jew and Gentile, male and female, people from different ethnicities. But the design is this promise that God made to a people that became a nation. And that nation represents, is, is, is God's reputation on the earth as a God who keeps his promises so that we could be a light to the nations and tell the nations that there's no other God but the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the person of Yeshua who came and died and ascended and rose, came and rose, came and died and rose and ascended to take his place, to send us his spirit so that we could all worship the same God together looking as different as we look, coming from all these crazy places that we all come from. I don't know if anybody's a fan of Voltron in this room, the old cartoon, um, but it's kind of like, you know, I'll form the leg and you'll form the ar- you know, har- arm and together, and, and, and Jesus is like, and I'll form the head, and then there's like, yeah, all the people over 45 are like, I don't know what he's talking about. That's okay. You can look it up. There's a new show on Netflix. It's great. Um, There's still distinction. We're still men and we're still women. We're still Jew and Gentile and we're still coming from all the ethnicities that we come from. But there's also a wonderful unity and diversity within that distinction. When we try to erase distinction, we erase the design of God. The idea is there isn't supposed to be no distinction because the distinction is part of the glory of who God is. That he designed all of these amazing things, all of these amazing people from all of these different places that look different and sound different, but are designed to worship the same God together in the person of Jesus. Let me pray for you. Lord, we just thank you for this time together. And we pray that you would uh, speak into our hearts and into our minds. Um, the areas that the walls that we put up individually and as communities to keep the very people out that you designed this whole thing to bring them in. Lord, we, we, we want to worship you in spirit and in truth, and we want to worship you um, in, with distinction in design, but with diversity in the way that we come to you, the one and only true God who sent your son to die for us so that in his name we could be filled with the spirit and tell everyone around us that they can be too. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen. Friends, can we say thank you to Matt for teaching us here this morning?
I'm so thankful for that, um, that theological bedrock that we were given today. Uh, in our culture, many, many people are talking about the subject of race. And what I am convinced of is that people in our culture want the gospel results, but without gospel motives or methods. That only in Christ Jesus can we truly achieve that type of unity and diversity that our culture is longing for. The other thing it's hard to do, particularly in our neck of the woods, is to be bridge builders. I was at my daughter's elementary school recently, and as she's sitting at the lunch table, uh, it is her, my daughter Reagan, who if you know her, she is the whitest human being that has ever been born. She's almost see-through. Uh, and, 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 and literally, her, her group of like seven other friends, not, a, not another white person, and they were um, Vietnamese, Korean, some born here in the States, some have moved in, one from Ethiopia, just this very diverse group of children who... That, that, that simple childlikeness to be able to see kind of through the nonsense that we build up over time. And I just was blessed by that and struck by how, how we need Christ to make us like a child so that we can get over these foolish divisions that we build up and that we can have the courage because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not because of some silly blog post that we read, but because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how important this is. So as we enter into the time of celebrating the Lord's table, I invite you to get the elements ready because we're going to eat, we're going to drink, and we're going to gather around this table that our Messiah has invited us to through his blood. 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul is writing that he received this from the Lord and he delivers it to us that the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this, eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, today, when we eat and drink, we are enacting the truth that Matt just taught to us. We are enacting the story of the people of Israel called to be a light to the nations. And for those of us, myself included, who are Gentile believers in Jesus, we get to eat and drink with a thankfulness and appreciation that we get invited to the table of the family of Abraham and get to experience the blessings of the one true God of heaven and earth. Paul continues and says, hey, you better examine yourself before you eat. Before you eat and drink, Examine your hearts because there's guilt to be incurred by, by eating and drinking in that unexamined way. So examine, pray, and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And today I'm going to invite you to pray where in your heart might there be, even if it's subtle, that thing that we talked about where it's just easier for those people to be over there and for those people to be over there instead of all of us seeking to be the kind of people that would enact this gospel story of bringing all nations together under the lordship of Jesus, our Messiah. So pray, examine your heart, repent, receive his grace, eat and drink, and when you're ready, we'll have you stand and sing with us. God, I, I ask now as we pause and to reflect that you would help us to celebrate this plan that you have enacted since the beginning. and You'd help us to appreciate the, the, the grand narrative that you are weaving for all nations to be blessed in and through the Jewish Messiah, our Savior Jesus. May we come to you now with humility. May we come to you now with reverence. May we also come to you now with great joy that we have been invited into your story, into your family, your one big family. In Jesus' name, amen.